like, can I really love this child like I love my own? Because it is different. Like, I love your kids. I don't love them the way I love my own kids, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not the same. Because we had had biological children, that was part of my question. I think in the end, what we found out was that she was always ours. God just had a different route of getting her to our family. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. My husband, Noah, joins the show today. Hi, Noah. Hi. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. We missed you. I missed you. Oh, ooh. we're wrapping up season five. We're heading into season six. And I hope you heard our last episode about adopting from the UK. Did you hear that one? I did. It's pretty amazing to me how this show has not just gone to the US, but abroad, right? We've shared stories from all over the world. It's exciting to find out about adoption throughout the world, like you said. I mean, we get focused about American stories, but hearing how people adopt in the UK, it was really amazing. And it was it was a heartfelt story about a family who brings home two children and they walk in the door and the kids say, hi, mom and dad. <laughs> so funny because I always love stories that defy all logic and rules of adoption. So we always say on the show, hey, if you're adopting an older child, don't expect the child to come in and say, hi, mom and dad, thanks for adopting me. And then we get the story where it actually happened. It did. So it's cool that these things can happen and that we can have hope that that could be your story. So if you're listening right now and you're in the process of adoption and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I hope that the children love me or I hope that, you know, we have a good story. They happen and we have them right here on the show. So that was really exciting. The story goes on to tell us about how they got a call about a biological sibling, which is very cool. So they have three little girls and it's just inspiring. If you did not hear that full story, you can go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and look for Rebecca and Earl's story. All right, Noah. So I have good news and I have bad news. Oh, let's do the good news first. Okay. So the good news is last month we hit 14,000 downloads for the month. Just for the month? Just for the month. That's awesome. So we are reaching over a quarter of a million downloads. Isn't that cool? Yes. So our show is growing. Thank you for listening and sharing the podcast with your community. Hey, and thank you for letting us be a part of your story and letting us into your homes and into your hearts every week. There, there's so much to learn through storytelling. I really believe that. It's, it's a great way to address issues with understanding and compassion. I mean, I could teach you things from a rule book, but it would lack that human component. And that's why we love the show so much is because our guests share stories, real stories, and we get the human touch on adoption. So that's the good news. Show was growing. Okay, bad news. Okay, so bad news. And a lot of you know this. We have a non-working website. It's been a huge struggle for months. And I can't tell you right now exactly why. One day I will. I thought that adopting was challenging. I never realized how hard it was going to be to get a working website to help adoptive families. I just think that the adoption world can be hard. And it feels like there's sometimes an attack on doing good in the adoption community. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. So we know that it's not working and we, we just want you to know that we're still here. We're not going anywhere. The bottom line is we trusted the wrong people, period. And it's a hard lesson for us, but we are waiting our way through it and we're going to get through it. We are changing the website to adoptionnowpodcast.com. And the podcast lives in many places, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I mean, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. And if you need help or if you have a story you want to tell, you can email me directly at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. 
That's afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. We appreciate you so much. Listen, your messages that you send me make my day. So many of you reach out on Instagram or Facebook or you send me emails and you say, hey, I heard your show and I totally changed my whole plan. Or I had no idea what a birth mother goes through until I started listening to these stories. And then I started realizing I need to reach out to my birth mom. I need to open my heart to the whole story. And that kind of encouragement is what keeps us going. So thank you and don't stop. Okay, so today I'm excited. I always say that, but I am really excited. A lot of things have happened for us this summer. I know one of the greatest things is that we met these pastors at this church and they have really changed our lives. And I really, really mean that. Today we have Pastor Aaron and his wife, Kellyanne. They've been married for 25 years. They have three biological children and they adopted a little girl from China. And they just moved to Colorado to pastor a church in Parker called Southeast Christian. Hey guys, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks thanks for for having having us. us. So how do you feel that I say you changed our lives? We've only known you for five minutes. I feel a little pressure. (laughs) I feel the same. You changed our lives too. Aw, that's so sweet. She had to say that though. She did. You made made her. I made her say that. I paid her. (laughs) Listen, we had a situation that I want to talk about because this is an epidemic for the adoption community. Where do we go to church? Where do we fit in? Our lives have changed so much. And I talk to families all the time. And I say to them, when you adopted, how did it work in your small group? How did it work in your church? And everyone hands down says, it totally changed everything. We, we couldn't explain what we were going through. We felt frustrated. We felt lost. People were trying to help us, but saying all the wrong things. And we felt isolated. And you know what? A lot of people say, I just stopped going to church. I mean, I just didn't fit in there anymore. The gospel changed for me in a way that wasn't A plus B equals C. It changed for me. It became gray. And, and I realized I didn't want to be as judgmental as I was before. I realized all these different things and I just had to take a step back. Okay, if you're in that place, I agree with you to some degree, but there is a time where we have to grow our community and be involved in the church. And let me just say that Noah and I were there. We found a great church. We loved our church, but we were just attending. You know, we would volunteer, but really just kind of sitting and attending. And we had been through a lot through the eight years of adopting. And so we were recovering and we were healing and we were growing together as a family. And my kids go to a Christian school. And they said, mom, we want to go to the church where we go to school. And we're like, no, we love our church. They're like, mom, please, please. So one Sunday we're like, okay, we get everybody ready. They look adorable. Their hair was perfect. And you know, I have African-American girls. So I spent like two hours on their hair and we got up early and we were just going to go to this church and just try it and have fun and meet new people. And we were excited. We walk in the doors and this lady goes, Hey, welcome. She's a greeter. Welcome did you buy those kids from the store? And all of a sudden my smile turned upside down and I was livid, right? If you're a parent with an interracial family, you know how hard it is when people say anything that you could perceive as negative or that your children could perceive as negative. So I walk in, Noah didn't hear it. He's like, let's get the kids into Sunday school. And I'm like, no, we need to get out of here. I saw the angry eyes. The angry eyes came out. Mm-hmm. The mama bear eyes, right? Yes. I was like, uh-oh, what just happened? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, we need to leave because this church is not educated on adoption. And what is Sunday school going to be like for them? And why did she say that? Because now my kids are looking at me like, did you buy me from a store? What does she mean by that? How much was I? I mean, all those questions we get all the time. And I'm so furious. 
And this lady comes up and she can see I'm mad. And she's like, are you okay? And I said, you know what? This is what happened to me. And I'll just tell you, I, I probably cry in the story because it was so amazing. The love and humbleness that we received from the whole entire staff. She came over to me and she's like, I'm so sorry. I don't think that's what she meant. I'm so sorry that happened. Please, please just come in and just, just try our church. Don't leave. Of course, my kids were like, mom, we want to go to Sunday school. Let's try it. So I take them to Sunday school, but in my mind, I'm like, it's fine. I'll take them to Sunday school, but I mean, we're not coming back. I'm going to sit through this service mad, right? And if you don't know, I mean, I know that on the show, I'm pretty happy. But when you say things about my kids, I can get real mad. So I'm sitting there like upset. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, will you be part of the solution? Don't just leave because you're mad. If they're willing to understand where you're coming from, would you work with them? Would you stay here? Could we do something to change adoption in the church? And of course, I'm like, no, we cannot. I'm leaving. (laughs) But then the worship was really good. And, you know, I started to feel my heart soften and thought, I can't shelter my children all the time from things that are said incorrectly about them. I can't shelter people from saying ignorant comments about adoption or about interracial families. I can't stop that. The only thing I could do is isolate in a house. And I don't want to do that to my kids. I want them to learn how to approach the world, not when they go to college. I want them to learn right now. They're nine, they're six, they're four, and they're two. We're an interracial family. They're adopted. They know their stories. We're confident as a family. And I want them to be able to present that to the world. And I can't do it if I keep running away when everybody makes me upset or says something hurtful. And so I sat there and I realized I have to go to the people and I have to tell them, not only do I want to teach you about adoption, I'll be a greeter. And if you know me, what? I'll get up in the morning, I'll get my kids ready, I'll come to church and I'll be a greeter because there's going to be another family that looks like ours that are going to walk through that door and I want to greet them. I want to bring them in and I want to help families come back to church. And you know what? That Sunday they announced they were getting a new pastor. That's right. And he was an adoptive dad. <laughs> and we were like, oh, like this was meant to be. And in our relationship and meeting you guys, it's been so amazing to see like what we can do for the adoption community. And so I'm happy that you guys are on the show and you're going to tell your story. How was it hearing that story, though, about the church you just took? I'm not surprised. And I, and I don't know that that's something that's indicative of just our church. I'm, it's unfortunate, but I, I think you're right in saying that the church is ill-equipped to know how to respond to interracial families. It just It's hard to know what to say or how to say it. Or And people come from the spectrum of sensitivity to it. Some people don't care. Some people are, really care a lot. It's hard to know how to respond to all of that. So I'm just not surprised. I'm so grateful, the staff that you have, though. I'll tell you, there wasn't a person that didn't come up to us and apologize to us. And honestly, they're like, that woman, she said the wrong thing, but her heart was really like, they look so cute. They're like dolls. They they look like they could be bought from a store. <laughs> I know that that's her intention. But they were like, we can get you coffee. Please don't leave. Please be here. You're important to us. And I had never had that. I mean, didn't you feel that? It was like the love that we received and the humbleness. And I said that before, but they were teachable. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. And they were so quick to make sure that the the story was shared, right? It wasn't like one person found out and then nobody else knew. It was this big secret. 
it was amazing the openness and the communication throughout the staff that made us feel comfortable too so that it wasn't this kind of thing you don't talk about anymore it happened but let's just push it off to the side yeah no. be forgiving yeah. that's what i expected like be forgiving she didn't mean that why well, I, I am forgiving but what is in place so that doesn't happen again right i can stand in that place and take it as a family but what if the family behind me would have left like what if they wouldn't have wanted to be part of the solution what if they had gone to church after church and that was their final straw we have to be the church that embraces them and say hey we're not gonna do it right but we want to love you you know we want to bring you in and that that made the complete difference for us and then we've been going ever since and our kids love it and you know the adoption movement is happening there and and i'm super excited and just so you know all of the staff and how they responded all that plan was all in place before i even had heard that that conversation had taken Mm -hmm. place which i was mortified but at the same time they genuinely did care and were concerned for not just appropriate response but for your well-being so that's it's cool to work with those kind of people it is it is okay let's get to your story so you guys have been pastoring churches you've done church plants you have three biological children what made you want to adopt I was never one of those people who, for my whole life, I just knew I was going to adopt. That was never me. We had decided that our family was complete. We were done at three kids. I had always wanted a bigger family. Then all of a sudden, everywhere I looked, I started seeing little Asian adopted children. And I started hearing, you know, I would hear the Stephen Curtis Chapman song about adopting his daughter. And I would there'd be an adoption commercial on and everywhere I looked like I couldn't get away from it. And so God had my attention and I thought, okay, well I'll go and tell my husband about it, but he wanted to be done at two kids. So he's going to shoot it down. And then that'll be the end of that. Little did I know God was doing the same thing in Aaron's heart too. So it was summertime at the church. And if you know anything about churches in the summertime, it's always hard to get volunteers in because people are vacationing and doing different things, which is great. But we had needed some extra help in a in a children's ministry class that I stepped into. It was a under one infants. So I stepped in just to help and fill in on a particular service. And there was this one little girl there that for whatever reason, I just connected with her. So I was holding her during the service and I had a flip phone. This is right when cameras had just come out on phones, high tech. And it was color photo. It was pretty amazing. And so I had with my flip phone, I had made this decision that I was going to photograph all my God moments. So anytime that I felt like I was encountering God, I would take a picture. And so I'm holding this little girl and I'm like, man, this, it's just stirring something in me, like something about like maybe we're not done as a family and was really attached to her. So I took a picture of her, which probably technically was illegal, but I didn't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> and so just started to think about it, pray about it. Like, Lord, is this something are we done as a family? Are we not done as a family? I didn't, I didn't have any big aspirations of being an adoptive family. It was just something that was strained in our hearts. So I started praying, Lord, if you, if you are moving in this direction with us, if you want us to consider adoption, then God, what I would ask you to do is to have my wife bring it up so that I can know that it's you. Cause I kind of have this standing deal with God. I'll do anything that he wants me to do as long as I know it's him. That was a, a piece of the story. I, I started praying about it. And then one day, out of the blue, really, Kelly brings it up and says, hey, have you ever thought about adoption? So I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I just wanted to talk about it. I, I wasn't ready to go forward. Never in a million years did I think that he would say, yeah, let's do it. So then we entered this whole new world that we 
knew nothing about. We didn't, we weren't really close to anybody who had adopted and it just felt very overwhelming at that point. What, what do we do now? Let me ask you this. Was that little girl you were holding Asian? No, actually. And in fact, she was a foster child and, and we thought initially this is who we're going to okay. adopt because we're connected to her or I was connected to her. And I was just like, man, just something about her. And we just, she never cried when I held her. She, I mean, we just, I don't know. I was like, yep. When I think about adoption and I close my eyes and picture what that child is going to be, it was this young girl. And I, and I just thought sure that was, that was the one that was going to be. And what happened to her? Her foster mom decided to move forward with adopting her. Okay. And, and so we had initially talked to her and said, Hey, you know, we've been thinking about adoption and, and we would like to consider adopting her. And, and she was very gracious about it. She was like, initially wasn't sure if she was going to adopt her or not. She moved towards that over time. And then um, we had to recalibrate and go, okay, so we're into this adoption thing. Now what? And so how did you decide on China? Again, it's just these little God moments where he's like, go this way, now go this way. I had been invited over to our choir director's house, and I didn't really know her at the time. And we hadn't told anyone that we were going to go forward with adopting. So I'm sitting there, and I kind of just blurt out to her, and I'm thinking, it's so weird that I'm confiding in her. And she goes, oh, really? Well, I have a friend who lives down the road, and she's a, uh, an agency director for a branch that's out of Tennessee, and she adopted five domestic kids. They're all grown, and she thought she was going to retire and go on cruises, and the Lord had something else for her, and she adopted, she started over, essentially, and adopted four or five more little Chinese girls. She just has a heart for China. And so let me give you her card. So I got her card. We made an appointment. I walked into her house and the person who greeted me was this five-year-old little Chinese girl in Barbie nightgown holding a doll. And I I was in love. Mm, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah, It was one of those things for me where when God wants to get my attention, I can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it was on the radio or it was TV or it was just walking down the street and seeing an adoptive family, it was always connected to Chinese adoption. Like I could not get away, not just from adoption, but once we made the decision, it was Chinese adoption over and over and over. Like we couldn't get away from it. And how old were your children at that time? Five, seven, and nine. Okay. So old enough to understand. And how did they feel about this journey? So I, I have a funny story. They were excited. They were excited. My son, Caleb, who would have been seven at the time, loves people. Like in soccer, he wouldn't actually play the game. He'd go stand by the goalie so the goalie wasn't alone. <laughs> he loves people. I said, guys, guess what? She's ours. She's your sister. And Caleb got this really mad face. And I go, buddy, what's wrong? And he goes, great. She's going to speak Spanish and we're not going to understand her. <laughs> so... <laughs> Other than that, once he knew that that was not going to be the case, he was not going to speak Spanish. That's so Um, cute. Yes. Then everybody was super excited. Aw, I love that. That is so sweet. So they were on board. Yes. And how long until you got your home study done and then were matched? We handed in our, I I don't remember what time of year that was. I just remember that we handed in our, our dossier in January. And then I think we were placed in the summer. And we thought we would have to wait quite a bit longer but we decided to go the special needs route. She was on the waiting child list. And had we not done that, we would have been waiting a couple more years. So I think we handed our dossier in January. And then 
I just happened when I when I handed in the dossier, they had gotten in a new batch of files of waiting children who, again, that's another way to say special needs. And she said, hey, I got this, I got all these new pictures and you want to see them. And we weren't on the list to adopt special needs kids, but it was a, it was pictures of babies. So I was like, yeah, let me see them. <laughs> and I found Ellie and I found another little girl and I said, could you send me their files? And she said, yes, but other people already have their files and you're not on the list. So you'll be last. And I said, you know, that's okay. So so we go home, Aaron's out of town, and we're looking at these files. And, and Ellie's, who became our daughter, um, we're reading. So she was born with no ears. She has microtia and bilateral atresia. So no ears, no ear canals. And basically her ears were like these little nubs. So we weren't sure if that meant we would need to sign. You know, we felt not really prepared to do that. But we noticed in her bio that it said she loves loud places, which made sense. So her inner ear was intact. So she loves loud places. She's obstinate. She's stubborn. And my daughter, who was nine at the time, looked at me and she goes, Mom, that's my sister. <laughs> she loves loud places and she's stubborn. She's one of us. So I remember asking Aaron, you know, what do you think about this? And he, he was nervous again about, could we be the kind of parents that she would need as a hearing impaired child? Mm-hmm. But pretty soon after, you know, again, God just gave us this peace. And so we just prayed, Lord, don't let the people who have her file, because they had a bunch of files on children. Don't even let them get to her. May they find their child before they get to her. And that's exactly what happened. So we got a call that she was placed with us. Oh, my gosh. And were you, like, so nervous? As a dad, what were you thinking? I was excited. The big question that I had is, I know this is where the Lord's taken us and and we're going to do this. And I don't know that this is uncommon. I don't know. But I was like, can I really love this child like I love my own? Because it is different. Like, I love your kids. I don't love them the way I love my own kids, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not the same. Because we had had biological children, that was part of my question. I think in the end, what we found out was that she was always ours. God just had a different route of getting her to our family. So it wasn't like we were loving somebody else's kid. It, it's always, she's always been ours. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that, that was probably my biggest fear. Um, and, and what does it involve? Um, I, I was never afraid of the medical piece as far as whether or not we could do it. I, for me, it's like you, you have a child and you do what it takes to parent the child. Well, mm-hmm. that's just, that was kind of my perspective on it. Whether that's a, a kid that's got some, some other kind of a disability or something, it didn't really matter. Um, we were just going to figure it out and do the best that we could for her. So I was more nervous just about making sure that we could integrate her into our family the way the other kids have been part of our life. There's a lot of things you said that I want to comment on, but first I want to know, what's the spectrum of special needs? Yeah, you could have cleft palate. You could have some sort of a mental handicap. You could have a hole in their heart, some sort of another medical condition. I think a lot of the common ones are more like a cleft palate, those kinds of things that are medically fixable if you have the right treatment available to you. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's the physical defect of some kind. I remember that we were so scared. When we started the process, they asked you two questions. Would you say yes to special needs? And would you say yes to drug exposed? And we said no to both of them. We're like, we're just not equipped for that. We actually just want a perfect baby delivered to our house and everything will be Wonderful. And then we kind of thought about it and we thought, well, special needs we could probably do because even if we gave birth, the child could have a special need. Right. But not drugs. 
we will say no to drugs because we would have control over that. And that's something that just we wouldn't do. And, and we couldn't handle that. We said yes to both mm-hmm. in our lives. And um, we found out that we were a lot stronger than we thought we were. And we also thought about, and this is kind of what you said, is that when you think about loving somebody else's child that has special needs, that's really hard day in and day out, somebody else's child, right? And that's what you kind of think of when you're imagining like the adoption story and you think about this like kid that comes to your house, like somebody else's kid that I have to take care of. But there is a change that happens. It's your child. Then everything, I mean, when you love this child and this is your child, Reggie Rivers, uh, Denver Bronco came on and he adopted a son and he said it so great. He said, you know, there's something about holding a little human being that needs you. And you're all they have. And you step up to the plate. You rise to the occasion. I hear that all the time, Aaron. Is dad say, I don't know. Women are easier to go, okay, yeah, I'm on board. But men are like, I really struggle. I mean, don't you think that that's so common to wonder if you're going to love this child? Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the biggest struggle, like you said, with special needs or with drug exposure, really any child. I think that's a challenge as a father in general. I mean, that's, that's a big, scary position. I was just talking to a friend the other day who just, he has a five-month-old daughter now. And you don't realize how selfish you are until you have kids, right? <laughs> and especially as men, I think we struggle even more. It's like, we've got this, we've got this all figured out. And then a kid comes along and we're like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. It's well, true. You guys had children before, so you guys were like, you know, professionals. A lot of people are walking into it the first time. And I think the point that I really want to say is that it's not someone else's child. It's your child. You feel like you, my children, I feel I could have birthed them. They are my children. They look different, right? But that's how close. Yeah. And I would say that having biological children, I can say with a surety that we love Ellie no different. I mean, no different. It feels like I could have birthed her too. And sometimes I'll, like when I'm talking to the kids, I'll say, oh yeah, well, try birthing four children. And Ellie's like, um, really mom? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you get matched. You know, this is going to be your daughter. The other family is not going to get her. You're going to get her. Now, how long do you have to wait? And did you go get her? Yeah, yeah. I think it was nine months from that point. And how old was she at that point? Gosh, I think she was about one because she was born in August. So she was one when we found out. I was actually just reading our blog last night and we found out, I think, the end of December that we could go get her in January. So it it was pretty, pretty fast. It didn't feel fast at the time because every night that, you know, that's my child somewhere else and we don't have her. It felt like forever, but relatively compared to other adoptions, especially international adoptions, it was fast. The picture is amazing. I'm going to put that picture on Facebook and Instagram. But that picture, I mean, I would have not slept either. She's so precious. I know. And she still looks like that. She still looks so precious and so innocent. And she had these adorable lips. The lips. I know. That's what got me. Okay. So you're waiting and you find out in January and you guys jump on a plane? Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. It was, it turned around really fast. We got on the plane, flew over to get her. We had to be in country 12 days. I think they recommended 14, but we were there 12 days. And most of that was waiting. Most of it was paperwork and us doing a little bit of walking around and experiencing. We, we, we took our, our oldest daughter who was 10 now at that point. It was a lot of fun. 
you cannot pick a culture more different than ours, than the Chinese culture. And so just walking down the road, my daughter has red hair and very bare skin. And so people would literally walk up and just touch her hair. Like they had no personal space at all. And so that was an adjustment. Um, were they speaking Spanish? They were speaking yeah. Yeah. Okay. Spanish. 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 It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. But when we got there, we had another full day to wait before we, you know, got her placed in our arms. So we just did some sightseeing. and Why? When it happened, there were other, lots of other couples there to get their babies. And so how it happened was we met with our guide when it was the day to do it. And we get on this elevator and we're going up, we're in this office building. And all of a sudden I thought, when we get to the top of the elevator, like, is it going to happen? And she goes, yeah, it's just a big open room. So I got my video camera ready. And sure enough, it was big open room. It was huge and it was chaos and sweat and crying. And I, I, there was probably... There were 73 babies that got placed that day. So who was oh crying? The babies? Well, the yeah. Ba the babies. It was probably the most anticlimactic moment right. of the whole process. And did they warn you about that? No. 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 We okay. were like, we want to have this moment. And oh, yeah. <laughs> big negatory, good buddy. It was like, hand off. All yeah. right, let's go. Well, and, and even before that, they said, okay, so here's the picture of your baby. Go around the room and find it. <laughs> what? We'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we oh, had goodness. a piece of paper with her picture on it. And the, the, our guide took the picture and held it up to her and then grabbed her out of the, the person who had her, I'm assuming works for the orphanage, and gave her to us and was like, okay, let's and go. And that was it. We're like, do we go now? Yeah, you can go. And you can go where? Back, and, back to our hotel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And was she crying? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, yes. Well, and they have, they're funny about layers. So she was all bundled up. So she is sweating because she's indoors. And sweating and snot and crying and she didn't want to be with us. She didn't want to look at us. And so, no, it was definitely not the moment we had pictured in our minds. Could she hear? Well, I mean, she could hear kind loud of. noises. Kind of. If we talked okay. loud, she could hear. Yeah. And even by 17 months, she was pretty good at reading lips. But, of course, we didn't speak. We didn't speak right. We didn't Mandarin. speak Spanish. Right. right. So she couldn't read Spanish. <laughs> yeah. 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 How did you feel... That she didn't go to right away, that she wouldn't look at you. Did you expect that a little bit? I mean, because, okay, when I'm listening to the story, I'm thinking about you guys, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's adoptive parents. But then you think about this little person yeah. who's never seen anyone that looks like you. They don't know you, a different smell. And then you just get handed off. That must be so terrifying for a child. Absolutely. And to make matters worse, we're oversized Americans were like gigantic Chinese people. Yeah, and true. so they literally would walk inside the, they would walk up to us in the hotel, the, just random Chinese people that were there and asked to take our picture because we were so much larger than them. So for her, like the experience of that, I, I mean, I would describe it as trauma for mm -hmm. her. Well, and what we found out later was, so she came from a neighboring town, which was two hours away. So she was taken from her foster family because she, mm -hmm. she actually was never in, in an orphanage. She was taken from her foster family and driven two hours away, put in this big room where it's chaos, given to these big white people. She was terrified. And like my mama's heart hurt for her. Yeah. Okay. So I have people listening to this and they're waiting right now. They're going to go over to Haiti. They're going to go over to India. What's your advice? Just be prepared that it, it is what it is. Give it some time. 
it's not i i had this idealized version of it in my head this rosy like she's going to be so thankful i don't know why that was what was in my head but that was what was in my head it was not like that at all in fact for about four days she wouldn't even look at me like if i walked in the room she would look away and get a scowl on her face the great thing that we did was we brought our our oldest daughter with us and they really bonded immediately Mm. so she bathed her she fed her she did everything because she was little yeah yeah, I think so. And and I don't know, there was a few days in, we had been emailing with the gal who was our agent here in the States. And she was like, okay, you probably need to step in and fill the role of parent and just mm-hmm. make her get used to it. It took a while. In fact, even after we came home, there was still some distance there. I remember the first time she said, I love you to me, like it broke, I just mm-hmm. sobbed because I was like, oh, it happened. But that was like, over a month after we had actually gotten her, like there was some some time there for her to to bond with us. So you got to be prepared for that. From their perspective, they haven't been waiting for months and doing paperwork and talking about it and dreaming about it and praying about it. They haven't been doing any of those things. They've been surviving. Mm-hmm. And so you get to that point, they just view the experience very, very differently. That is such a good point. They've been surviving. It just breaks your heart. And that time is so important to help them feel like they trust you. And we forget that. Kids are just going to trust us. They're going to say, thank you. This place was terrible. And this place is great. I have my own bed now. And it's not like that. Trust is built over time. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that nine months in utero. We didn't have, you know, that birth moment. And so we have to catch up, right? It was 19 months. 19 months of her life you have to catch up on. And that's what I would just say as advice too for parents is that it's going to take some time Give yourself a break as a parent. Give the child a break as a child, and it will come together. You know, my favorite story is the juice box story. This dad from Canada uh, tells a story about how he brings this little girl home, and he would hand her a juice box, and she didn't want anything to do with him, and she would throw the juice box. And so they did therapy with the juice box, and she'd throw it down, or she wouldn't look at him. And every day he handed her this juice box, and one day she took that juice box mm. and he was, I'm crying again because he was crying and remembering. And he said, you know, to everyone else, it was just a juice box. But at that moment she decided he's not giving up and I'll drink the juice box. Yeah. And I always pray for that for families is that you'd have a juice box moment or you'd have an, I love you moment. I had another dad from India talk about how they were sitting next to each other. Girl didn't want anything to do with him. Dads have a hard time sometimes. And she put her hand on his arm. And she had never touched him. She had never hugged him or anything. In that moment, everything changed. And you can build upon that then. It's the little things with these kids. And that's what we really need to look at. It's not the whole picture. It's not what everybody else sees. It's you and that child and that intimacy and that moment where you know that the child is going to trust you. And they have that choice. Listen, they can choose you as parents. They have that choice right? This is an adoption situation. They can say, I don't want you to parent me. And then you have to work really hard. I, I think giving the child that, that time is so, so important, but it's hard on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loving when they don't know how to love you back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes a long time for them to figure out how to do that. It's difficult. But one of the things that they talked about when we were in our um, adoption training process was if you, if you're doing this as a missionary Ask, please stop. Mm. Like we're not we're not missionary adopting. We're not mm. doing this to save the world for Jesus. We're we're doing this because we feel like this is part of who we who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. 
whatever that did in my head was to say, okay, I'm going to love this child because this child is worthy of being loved. That doesn't mean that they're going to love me back well. Mm-hmm. That was a pivot point that I think allowed at least some degree of decency when we are going through this difficult time of bonding and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. That is so good. Don't missionary adopt. Could say that over and over again. I mean, really, when people say, oh, I adopted out of the kindness of my heart. No, don't adopt out of the kindness of your heart. Adopt because you want to parent a child and you're in it for the long run. Adoption is a journey forever, mm-hmm. right? The child is never just going to graduate and not be adopted. Right. They're always adopted. And this is always your story. And if you can handle that, the good and the bad and the hard and the challenging and changing your parenting and learning to be teachable, then you can do this. Yep. But if you think you're doing a good thing for a person and that's why you're in it, don't do it yeah. because it will wreck you. It will turn your life upside down. And, you know, I said to know I was a missionary for three years and I, I was like blood, sweat and tears, right? I love mission. But then I went home and I went to sleep at night. Then I could shut it off. Yeah. Yep. Parenting, you can never shut off. These people are always there. <laughs> These kids, it's like they want to be fed every day. Yeah. I know. It's a lot. <laughs> you got to be in it to win it. And it sounds like she came home and she did attach. And you had your moment. Did you have a moment? I don't know that it was a moment. She, I mean, she attached to our daughter Carter first. And then when we got home, she attached to me. She was very protective of me, a very possessive. And our boys hadn't gone with us. And so when my boys came up to hug me because uh, they had missed me, she was having none of that. That's her mom, which I, I, wasn't, I wasn't as attached to her as she was to me. But that was a good moment for me to, to realize, oh, my gosh, like we're making progress. It probably took me about a month. And I had a couple friends who adopted six months after we did. And they had talked to me about, I just am not feeling like she's my real daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, they had gotten home. And I said, give yourself a couple months. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really all that it took. That's great advice. That's what I say, too. Because all of a sudden, when you didn't, you as a parent didn't feel the feelings you wanted to feel, you self-sabotage. I'm the worst mom. I shouldn't have done this. I made a mistake. You know what? I have four adopted children and I attach to them differently. All of them. I'm attached to them as a mom and they're attached to me now. And it took work and it took time and it took things that felt uncomfortable and skin time and, you know, all those things that maybe don't come natural to us, but you do it because you want the child to attach and bond to you. But it is hard sometimes when you're feeling like, gosh, I'm not feeling it. And I'm the mom. Exactly. Well, I can tell you that even we have three bio kids. I attached to them differently. Mm. Yes. Our first kid was like, wow, everything is new and she's a miracle. And and then our second kid was a boy, which just, for some reason that was mentally different for me. And, and I didn't, I didn't feel the same feels that I had for our daughter. And I felt really guilty about it, even in the biological world. So that, you know, Mm. that happens. That's Mm -hmm. just, that's parenting 101. You attach to your kids different. Yeah. It's good for mothers like you, Kelly, to say that though, to go into other people's lives and say, this is totally normal. Yep. You're fine. You know, if three years go by, let's chat, but just give yourself some time. It's an adjustment. It is. So tell us about her now. She's amazing. She's incredible. She's a teenager. How old is she? 14. 14. And okay. So I met her. So here's a, here's another 
Kelly story. So I hear these pastors are coming to this church um, and someone invites me to have lunch with Kelly. And you've been here like two days at that point. And I'm like, okay, so I have lunch with you and you bring your daughter, Ellie, and somebody in the table asks you the story and you kind of share a little bit about it. And her face is kind of the same the whole time. Like she doesn't look happy or unhappy. And I don't know why I did this, but I turned to her and I said, how do you feel when your mom tells that story? She's 14 years old. And then as the words are coming in my mouth, I'm like, why are you saying that? You might really make this mom mad. But I was just so curious to know, like your mom told the story. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, how do you feel? And she kind of, no one had ever asked her that. So she was kind of like, um, hmm. And you were so great. You were like, yeah, how does it feel? I never thought about that. And I knew then like we were going to have a relationship mm -hmm. because you weren't like, well, why would you ask her that? This is amazing. And I'm telling the God story because you know what? Our kids have the ability to say, I don't really love that story. You're telling everybody, you know, I had special needs or, you know, my son, he was missing part of his brain. Do you like when I tell people that story? Do you feel bad? No, he likes it. But I asked Lily, you know, I, I know that you had a rough start. Do you feel bad when I say, she said, yeah, I don't mind if you tell the story. Just don't tell it in front of me. Mm. She said, so, and she's six. So I'm like, okay, I won't do that. She doesn't like any attention on her really at all. Yeah. And so we're discovering in the show what an adoptee needs and they need that question. And it might be that they say, yeah, I love to hear the story. I don't know what her response was going to be, but your response was perfect. It was like, yes, I didn't think about this. I'm teachable. I want to learn. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling your story. And we just had this moment where I'm like, I like this lady. Mm. I like this lady. I like how they're raising her. And she's wonderful. She is. She and is. it was a teachable moment for me. That's exactly uh, what I was thinking in the moment. It caught me off guard because I'll have to say that she's not usually with me when I tell that story. And the times when she was little and I would tell that story, I think I told myself I didn't really need to worry about what she thought because she was too little, maybe didn't understand it. So for you to ask her really opened my eyes to, okay, we're at a different stage of life and she has feelings and she's probably always had feelings but she probably could articulate them better now. And I need to be more careful and I need to ask her, how does she feel about all this? Did you feel like, who is this lady? I want to strangle her. No, nope. No, we, we've, we've been, I mean, she's Chinese and the rest of us aren't. So the adoption and the fact that she was adopted has been like central to the conversation of her identity. Mm -hmm. From day one, we've never hit it. We've never tried to, you know, make her white or whatever. It, it, it's just always been part of our family conversation. We've been very open about it to the point where we were talking one day. This is kind of funny. We had all our kids at the table and we were talking about what makes you unique. Mm. And she goes, well, I know what makes me unique. And we were really curious what that was going to, what was going to come out next. Actually, you, you know what she said? And, and I, cause I remember my heart like broke a little bit. We were talking about, oh, you do this like your dad. Oh, you do this like grandma. Oh, and then Ellie goes, I know what makes me different from the family. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what a big fail, a parent fail. And she said. She said, I know what makes me different, my ears. Like she doesn't recognize that her hmm. Chinese nationality makes her different. Right. She says, my ears. That's what makes me different. Yeah. And we were like, yep. Like she doesn't see herself as Chinese or white or it's just been so integrated into our conversation that it's not been something that stood out to her. It's always just been part of it. Right. 
You know, she does see herself as Chinese. She does because she's very proud of it. And and if at school she gets to do a day where she tells about herself, she's very proud of it. But she sees herself as a couch. That's our last name. Yeah, she sees herself better, as a couch. It's a better way to say it. Right. Yep. She takes on your culture. And we say that a lot with our kids. You know, we teach them about their culture. I lived in Africa, so I love to teach African culture 100%. In fact, I could do a whole podcast on it because I love it so much. It's so rich and and so they're so deep in their faith and even the food that they eat and the things that are about the land. I love it. And I have that to give to them, but we live our culture mm-hmm. as a family, right? And so we support their identity. I think that that's really challenging with interracial families. Don't you think? I do, but I think it's going back to what we've been talking about the whole time of being open. Right. And that's mm-hmm. something that I've really appreciated about getting to know both of you too, is how open you are to have honest conversation. Mm-hmm how open you are to just talk. We're, we're people first, right? Yeah. We love to talk about, like I've got some Italian and German heritage and you know our daughter has some Hispanic, Puerto Rican and Colombian. Our other kids have African culture, but we bring those all in to our family because there are unique individual things that make each child, each person unique, right? Yes. And when you have those conversations, you get those stories, like when your daughter says, you're, you're expecting this, like, oh my goodness, what is she going to say? And she says, her ears. I mean, we've had AJ <laughs> say this before, too. We've had Lily even say that, where you expect them to have this horrible moment of, oh my gosh, we just failed as parents. And no. Yeah, it turns out really good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think, just to add to this, part of that for us is, I've always tried to be real intentional about talking with her openly about her adoption and that process and all of that stuff. But I've always, and I don't think that I did this intentionally, but in retrospect, I think it was important. It was always about how our family needed her. She didn't need us. Our family needed Mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. And so we always told the story of, you know, God looked at our family and knew that we needed one more, but it couldn't Mm -hmm. just be anybody. It had to be the perfect person for our family. So he went to Canada and he looked all over Canada, but there was Mm -hmm. nobody there. And then he went to England and then, you know, he'd go to all these different countries. And then finally she goes, and then he went to China. And I'm like, and what did he find in China? He found me. And Mm -hmm. what did he say about you? He said, I'm perfect. Mm -hmm. Like that's her story Mm -hmm. as she understands it. And to me, that was really a significant part of the process of helping her understand that she is unique in our family, Mm -hmm. but we needed her just like she was. She didn't need to be anything different. Children need to be seen. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that say, I don't like that adoptive parents say, you were meant to be with me. This was God's design because really it was his design to you know, have the child stay with the biological family. And I do agree with that. But we live in a broken world, right. yep. period. And so adoption is needed yep. and it can be beautiful. And I find that children who feel that they're in the right place at the right time have confidence. They don't question things. When you tell a child you were meant to be part of our family, yes, you have a birth mother and a birth father, but you were meant to be with us and we were meant to be with you. There's this confidence. My children beam at that. And I think there's nothing wrong with telling them that. And so maybe you're thinking, I don't know, I'm hearing all these different views. Listen, do what's in your heart. And watch your child. When you tell them something and you see life, tell them more of that. If you take on another opinion that somebody says and you don't see life, don't do that. Do what 
you know your child needs. And that's what's most important. And I want to end with this last story. I was talking to your daughter, Ellie, and I was telling her a story about Lily. And Lily has no, like she can talk really close to your face and she has to be right on top of you all the time. And I'm just kind of a like personal space. Like I like to cuddle and then like, oh, cuddling's done. And you don't have to, we don't have to be like touching all the time, but she does. She needs that. So she's talking really close to my face. She's telling me this really long story. And out of my mouth, it's not my greatest moment, but I said, oh my gosh, you're just always in my face and it's a lot. Don't you wish you had a mom that loved kids talking in their face that close? And she looked at me like, what? No. She's like, I love you because you came and got me Mm. because you found me and you wanted me. It was like this wonderful moment. I'm like, you're right. Go ahead and talk close to my face. It's totally (laughs) fine. And I told Ellie that and Ellie teared up. And I realized that she identified with that, that you guys chose her. You went and you got her and you took time out of your life and she was meant to be with you and you were meant to be with her. I mean, it's a match. And that's what a match is all about is that we need each other. I'm crying. Aw, this is a good story. I love these good stories. You guys are doing a great job and you're great leaders for the community and how to love other people, help other people. I appreciate you taking the time today to share your story. And you know what? We need some good stories. Our families need to hear that good things are possible. It's not going to be horrific. You know, there's a lot of negativity out there and our families need to be encouraged that, hey, if God is in it, you're going to be okay. And as long as the two of you are on the same page, you're going to be okay. Yep. Absolutely. And and I'll be honest, I, I felt for a long time and I, I still wrestle with this. Even coming in here today, I, I thought our story's so boring. Like what, what do we really have to share? Because we don't have the, the reactive attachment disorder issues. We don't have these issues where we have these terrible stories and we need these support groups. And I'm so glad there are those support groups. We haven't had that. It's been fairly easy and wonderful. And I'll be honest, I feel a little bit guilty about that. <laughs> But it's good. Yeah, I think adoption communities are so important. And I think you need to get into a group where you belong. And so if it is in the foster care group and or you are struggling with a child with RAD, be with people who get that. But I also think there needs to be a community for people like you or myself. You know, we have hard days for sure. Just parenting is hard. But we don't have the overwhelming reactive attachment disorder on a day-to-day basis. Our kids aren't, you know, burning down our house yet. Whew. But, you know, we, we have a lot of joy in adoption and we choose to see that and we choose for that to be our message. And it sounds like you guys are on that page too. And a lot of families need to hear that. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. You'll come back, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Noah, for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.